Hey, if you got a Bible with you, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Believe it or not, for the last forever, we've been working our way through something called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and we are, we've made it through Matthew chapter 5. We have read and studied about something called the Beatitudes. Now we, uh, we saw Jesus dig into six points on uh, correcting some bad teaching and some bad theology that was going on. And uh, we've, we're done with all of that. It's about to get super easy, all right? I know it's been hard for the last little while. It's been rough. Jesus said some, some harsh, hard things. He doesn't pull any of his punches. And, uh, and, and just, you know, it's, it's going to get light. We're just going to talk about money today. It's real easy. Real, real light. Should we, let, let's, let's read what Jesus says, and uh, let's, let's figure out how he begins this next portion. Oh, by the way, if you're new here, if you're a guest with us, or you're just joining us online for the first time, my name is Tim. I'm not just some random guy that grabbed a microphone and took over the moment. Uh, I, have, I have the privilege of being one of the two uh, senior pastors. My wife, Sharon's back there today. We co-pastor this church, uh, and we're super honored to get to serve you in all the ways that we get to. Uh, here at Life Church, so uh, we're ready. We're ready to get into the word. That was nice. Thank you, thank you. Nobody joined you, but that was nice. Um, <laughs> well, we are going to get into it uh, in in Matthew chapter six, in verse one. Jesus uh, continues in his sermon where he says, "Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven." So whenever you give, now that word give, by the way, just, just I said a moment ago, he's talking about financial giving. He's talking about your money. And he says, whenever you give uh, to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus, I thank you for everything that you've said to us so far in this sermon and in this series. And we open our hearts and our minds to hear you speak to us today. Lord, I hope that you would help me to say something that is worthwhile and is impactful and framing for our Christian lives. But also, Lord, I believe that in this text that there is something that can set us free in places where we get bound up. So we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So Jesus is going to talk to us about, our, about our, our giving, and he talks to us about the way we practice our righteousness. And so right now what he's doing is he's making a shift in the Sermon on the Mount, not just to deconstruct some bad theology and give us some better theology, but remember, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is he's looking at our entire lives and the way that we live in the kingdom of God on earth, the way that we engage with God and with other people. He's addressing a lot of our daily practices as Christians. And, and the first thing that I want you to catch from this portion of Jesus' teaching, the very first thing that we want to make an observation about is that giving is assumed by Jesus. Notice the way that he said that he makes this point. He doesn't say if you choose to give. He says when you give. And he says it twice. Right? 
The second time he doesn't come back around and soften the, the inference here. He says, when you give to the poor, and he says it just like that two times. He is assuming that we all already agree that giving is something we should be doing. That we've already all made a commitment. And, and he can do that because in the Jewish culture, it was actually uh, just a, a natural part of their training and upbringing and part of their culture that we all gave to the poor. In fact, they had such a strong, uh, what we call an honor-shame culture, that they were actually, they were actually uh, taught that if you wanted to receive honor or have any honor, you would participate in all of these religious traditions. And one of the religious traditions was you are going to give money to the poor. And if you didn't, then we as a Jewish community would shame you. I know, you thought cancel culture was new. It's not new. This is all part of this old, ancient culture. And they actually had giving boxes set up in the temple court. And people would go into the, the temple court on the Sabbath or when they were going in to make sacrifices or to, to do their worship or their prayers. They would go in, and there was actually these giving boxes right at the entrance, and they would give money on their way in, and if they didn't give it on the way in, they would make sure that they gave on the way out. And they would, they would do this actually in public. So when Jesus says, when you give to the poor, he wasn't saying, hey, I've got this brand new idea for you, let's start giving to poor people. He was speaking to a religious tradition, and that was something that was already a part of their culture. So the question for us, right up at the very front of this sermon, is are you living up to this baseline assumption of Jesus in the kingdom? I mean, giving is assumed. Giving is, is not something that he says, well, you've been following me for a certain amount of time. Now it's time for you to graduate to this, this, this mature disciple understanding. You know, the mature people are the ones that give. Jesus says, no, like, everybody gives. Everybody's a giver. Everybody is a part of this culture. And Jesus, by the way, says things like this more than once. He talks about giving in other places. In Matthew 23, toward the end of this gospel, Matthew records Jesus saying, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you neglect the more important things. Now, Jesus is really saying a lot of different things in there, and that kind of gets into the bigger picture of the point of this portion of Jesus' sermon. But the one thing that I want you to catch from this is, again, here is a place where Jesus is saying giving and tithing and, and, and being a financial partner with the work of God in the world, this is like, this is entry-level stuff. Like, everybody should be doing this, Right? This is, this is easy stuff, Jesus says. He goes, of course you should be doing that. You're neglecting the, the weightier things, the more important things, like love and mercy and justice and faith. Jesus talks about tithing and generosity like it's a foundational, basic principle of spiritual life. Like when we do, and I know we haven't done this in a little while because 2020 was a little bit of a crazy year, but when we do like new believers classes and training for brand new Christians, one of the things we teach in those trainings and classes is, hey, Jesus expects everybody to be generous. 
This is part of being in the kingdom, right? He says to his disciples, and one of the last things that he says to his disciples, he says, you've received so much from me. My expectation is that you go and freely give that away. Generosity is just a part of the kingdom. Unfortunately, though, this is one of those weird, sensitive subjects in church, And I understand why to a certain extent, because in a lot of different places, money has actually been an abusive topic in the church. I mean, this isn't a new thing. I mean, we go all the way back. I'm doing actually in my school journey right now, I'm doing a class over the summer where I'm reading about the, the, the church history from the Reformation to the more modern era. And one of the things that I was just reading about was this refresher on how the Catholic Church did this really weird, crazy thing where they would sell what was called indulgences. And they would actually sell to you. You could give money to the church, and then the priest would pray for your loved ones. You now, I'm not going to get into the breaking down of why that's terrible theology. Uh, I'm not going to get it down into breaking down the idea of purgatory. That's a different conversation. Uh, we, don't, we don't subscribe to a theology of purgatory uh, at Life Church, And uh, we, we also don't ask you to give us money so that we will pray for you. But this is what was happening. This is actually one of the reasons the Reformation happened. Martin Luther was like, hey, this selling of indulgences thing, this, this telling people to give money to the church so that we'll pray This is a bad idea. That was one of the issues that he took with the Catholic Church. And just so you know, I'm not standing up here ripping on the Catholic Church. The Protestants have been doing sort of the same thing. We just call it something different throughout all of our history. And there's been a lot of different times throughout church history where pastors have used money to hold control over the congregation. And that's called abuse. And that's not the kingdom of God. And that's not what we're trying to do here. But that is why a lot of people, when they hear pastors talk about money, they automatically want to shut off. or They automatically want to get offended. Or they automatically say, see, all you pastors ever do is just want to take our money. And I could understand why culturally we would think that. But just because somebody has gotten an idea of God's wrong doesn't mean we don't preach God's idea. We just need to make sure we preach it the right way. (laughs) Right? So we're not going to shy away from this idea. But but sadly, beyond just the bad teaching that has happened, and we want to avoid that at Life Church, sadly beyond just the unhealthy culture, it also seems, in fact, I heard one pastor that was talking about the same text. He said it this way. He said, you know, it seems as if when a person submits their life to Christ, one of the last things that gets submitted to Jesus is their pocketbook. And that's really interesting. That there seems to be something about Jesus. You can tell me what you want me to do about my marriage. You can tell me what to do about raising my kids. You can tell me what to do about how to pray for my health. And we, we'll do a lot of stuff about, like, Jesus, tell me what to do that I think I'm going to get a benefit or get more comfortable with, but don't touch my money. You don't understand how hard I worked for that. And Jesus' response to you would be, you don't understand how hard I worked to save you, and nothing you have is yours. And that's a breaking point for you. And if it is, I would just say, you haven't fully yet received the grace and the love of Jesus over every area of your life. I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to set you free. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but be all the way in Christ. And that counts everything you own, or at least that you think you own anyway. Right? Okay, so 
let's get super practical and then we'll get back into what Jesus is talking about. Because we want to make sure that we're helpful here. So we're going to say some things that we can do if we want to rectify this issue. If you're sitting here going, oh no, Jesus says giving is assumed. This is a baseline foundational thing. And you're sitting here going, oh no, I'm in trouble. Well, I want to help you. I'm going to give you three things that you can do very practically that will resolve this issue in your life. Number one, become a tither. Now, when we say the word tithe, that's a very Christian church term. You might not understand that word. That word literally just means tenth. So the, the biblical Christian standard of tithing is that God says bring the first fruits, the first 10% of all of your increase and submit that to God. Give that up to God. And we can do that because we understand two things. Number one, he owns it all anyway. So even the 90% that we keep isn't ours, right? And number two, we do that because we understand this is what submission looks like and how we access the blessing of the kingdom of heaven. I also want to break down for you real quick, and we can do other teachings about the theology of tithing. But just to get any wonky theology that you might have heard, uh, tithing is not an Old Testament principle that, that the New Testament believers are off the hook from. Tithing was established by, by people in the world before the Old Testament covenant was even a thing. So we see God's people tithing, giving a tenth to honor God before the Old Testament covenant ever came into, uh, into being. Then during the Old Testament covenant, tithing was affirmed. And then Jesus affirms tithing. In fact, I just read it to you in Matthew 23. He says, yeah, you should tithe. So before, during, and after the Old Testament covenant, God agrees with the principle of tithing. And he says, if you want to be blessed, submit your money. Just along with everything else that that is about your life as well. Right? Money does not get a pass on submission. So become a tither. So what does that look like? Budget your life so that every time money comes in, that before you pay any bills, you've already set aside 10%. And I know, and, and I know that I know that I know that there's going to be people in here who are going to say two things. Number one, I don't have enough. Well, yeah, you do. Everyone has 100% of whatever you have. This is how math works. I almost failed algebra twice, and I at least know that you have 10% of 100% of whatever you have. And God is saying, give me the first 10. Don't give me the last 10, because what happens is you put me last, you end up putting me not at all. Right? So, I told you it was going to get super light and easy today. So Jesus says, budget. This is how Jesus would respond to the question. Budget, set aside on purpose, intentionally, 10% of your income, every month to go back to God. There's places in Scripture that would, that would argue that the way that you do that is you partner with a local church. There's one passage of Scripture that says, bring the tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food enough for you in the house. The way we interpret that Scripture means that you would partner your, your, your spiritual walk with a house of God, with a community of faith. You bring your tithe into that place so that ministry can continue to happen there. Right? And so that we can partner with the world. So become a tither. By the way, just practically, uh, I'm recognized that we don't actually take time out of our service every Sunday to invite you to tithe or to give financially. You may think that that's an oversight. We do that intentionally. 
because we don't want to draw attention too much to what Jesus says is a baseline thing, right? Like, we don't take time out of our service to, to say, okay, now for the next 10 minutes, you're going to all practice smiling at each other because that's a baseline thing, right? Okay, everybody breathe. You should do, just do that. So we've set up a system and a rhythm for you to be able to be a tither, and there will be times like this moment right now where we'll draw special attention to this to, to teach and welcome people into this rhythm of life and blessing of the Lord and obedience to the Lord. And the way that you can tithe if you want to tithe or financially partner with us or, or give beyond your tithe, whatever you want to call it, uh, there's a black box in the back of the room there. We've got an app that you can download and you can give on our app. Uh, there's, there's also a website, avlife.church, and you can go to avlife.church slash give. And there are three ways right there that you can give and make sure that if this is your church, that you can partner with us financially in that way and honor the Lord and be a tither. Now, if you are like, oh, I don't want to tithe to this church, that's fine. Go attend the church that you want to partner with and be faithful there. And we celebrate that. I don't say that as a like, ah, fine, get out of here, right? That's not a, if you don't want to give us your money, you're not welcome here. No, we all belong. But if you want to be a tither, Tithe to the church where God has called you to also be a member of that family, right? That, that's the way that this system works. Again, that's, that's a, a bird's eye view of the subject of tithing, but that would be one way that we would immediately respond to this assumption that Jesus makes that we should all be givers. Knowing that part of our ministry flows directly out to taking care of the poor, which is what Jesus says here. Which, by the way, speaking of that, the second way that we, uh, that we can respond to this and make this practical is to sign up for opportunities to help us as a church. Even financially feed into some of those opportunities that we have as a church to, uh, to feed and care for the poor. For example, on Father's Day, Life Church will be at Grace Resource Center after church on Sunday and we will be serving a meal. So I've already heard some murmurs of some folks that have signed up to show up. You can partner financially to help us buy the meal that we will serve there and then buy other meals in the future. And there's other ministry opportunities as we continue to walk forward that you can partner financially and even also as a bonus partner with your giving of your time and your talents as well. And so you could help to serve so you can keep an eye out or an ear out for those opportunities. Uh, and, then, and then the third way is I would say that, that a practical way you can respond to this assumption that we would be givers is that you can personally budget in your life, not just to be a tither, but you can budget generosity into your life, right? What would it look like in your family if you even budgeted just 1% of your monthly income to give away every month to someone in need? Now, if you want questions, uh, or if you have questions about how do I create a budget, how do I create 1% of my budget, I'm going to ask my friend Paul Smith to stand up real quick. This is Paul Smith. Paul, I, I know I didn't tell you I was going to make you do this, but turn around so everyone can see your beautiful masked face. That's Paul Smith. Paul has been uh, really the, the brains of our church council for since I was uh, in kids' ministry here at this church. Paul, is, Paul has been uh, a brilliant gift of the Lord uh, to help us. He's really our, our, our chief financial treasurer in our church, and he also happens to have taught a class uh, on financial management from a biblical perspective in the past. Paul doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to ask him to teach another one of those in the fall. 
Um, and so if you're looking to sign up for that or to ask somebody, uh, Paul actually has done some coaching for some other people in our church and also taught on that. Um, and that all doesn't have to funnel through one single person. But the point there of why I had Paul stand up is get the help if you need it so that you can budget because this matters, right? And I'll just say that if you don't plan for it, you won't actually execute it. And so I would just challenge you and encourage you, if you want to be a generous person, to find a percentage of your monthly income and budget, and then look for opportunities, almost like you're playing a game with God. All right, God, I got 1% of my monthly income. I dare you to give me someone to give it to. And just try to find somebody. Look for people, for opportunities. My sister-in-law, for a, a good long while, I don't know if she still does this, but I remember there was a good season where she actually took some money, set it aside out of their budget, and then went and bought socks, deodorant, uh, it's all kind of like toothpaste and other hygiene product, products and put them in freezer bags, put like 10 of them in the trunk of her car. And her and her kids, every time they would be around town, they would just see somebody who was in need and the kids would know, oh, mommy, there's somebody. Can we go give them one of the bags? And they would go and give them a generosity bag. But they budgeted to do that. What a gift you could be in the world if you also agreed with Jesus that generosity and giving was an assumption about your life. I think this is the baseline of what Jesus would say to us. And, and I would just say, uh, if we can't agree that, that with Jesus, if we don't agree with him, that generosity and giving, even specifically to the poor, is an assumption or a baseline foundational element of our Christian life, if we don't agree with that, I don't even know that we're having the same conversation with Jesus when it comes to the rest of this text. I don't even know that it's possible for us to have an expectation that we understand the rest of what he's saying if we don't agree, yes, Jesus, generosity is foundational. And again, that's not to be condemning to anyone who might not be there right now or who might feel anxiety when you think about your finances right now. There's a road to freedom for you in this, but it has to begin with us agreeing and submitting all of our lives to Jesus. And that has to include our money, otherwise we are not submitted. All right? So that's what Jesus wants to say to us on the beginning, that this is a, a, a baseline, foundation. Again, Jesus is not trying to convince you to give. He wants to talk to you about how you give. So once we've figured out the baseline, the assumption, the foundation, that, that giving is assumed, here is the main thing Jesus wants us to understand from this teaching, is that gloating is discouraged. So giving is assumed, but gloating is discouraged. Right? So please, please don't be a gloater or a bragger. Jesus was addressing the way people were giving. Now, do you remember what, what he, he said in here? He says, listen again, he says, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by the people. He says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Now, I don't actually know if there were literal trumpets being blown. Some Biblical scholars and historians kind of have differing opinions about this, whether or not there were actually people blowing trumpets. Dun, 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 Brian gave today. Good job, Brian. Yay. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was really the case. He might have just been using hyperbole uh, to prove the point. Look at these people. They might as well have trumpets blowing the way they're bragging about their giving. But he was talking about the heart, that people weren't giving to be faithful to God. People were giving to be seen and celebrated. And Jesus says, 
look, we all should give. That's assumed. But I don't want your giving if you're giving to get celebration and recognition in return. This is not a generosity issue that Jesus is making here. It's a recognition issue. Maybe we boil that down even further to the root of a recognition issue, and we say this isn't a generosity issue. This is a pride issue, right? Because there's some of us who are on this side of the spectrum, and we go, I don't even know that I'm on board with giving. And there's other people on this side of the spectrum who go, I'm, I'm definitely on board with giving, and I love that everyone knows just how on board with giving I am. Right? So Jesus is addressing all of that. There's a pastor in our movement, in our Foursquare movement named Antonio Sims, and recently he posted online, he said, if you're helping someone and you're expecting something in return, you're doing business, not kindness. Woo! Ouch! Yeah. If you're expecting something in return, you're not, you're not being kind, you're making a business transaction. He goes on, he says, know the difference between the two ahead of time in order to curb your disappointment right? Now, Mark actually illustrates this point. In Mark's gospel, in chapter 12, Jesus is, is engaging with his disciples, and there's some Pharisees around, and it says, he actually says to his disciples about these religious leaders, he says, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes, who want greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These these people will receive harsher judgments. Now, he's talking about these religious leaders who lived in such a way that they would always get the recognition. They were hungry for titles and, and praise of people, and, and this was problematic for them. I, I do want to bring one point of clarity here because there was a kind of a confusing statement in here. He says, Jesus says, they devour widows' houses. What he was actually talking about is that these scribes, these religious leaders of the day, many of them actually were hired to become the bookkeepers for the widows in their Jewish community. And they were known to be thieves. They would steal money from these women as they were keeping their books. And then another element of what was happening is that the scribes were a part of the group in the Jewish community that were given permission to not have a job outside of ministry. And so, so then all of the Jewish people, this is part of the way God set up the old covenant system, all of the Jewish people would give in financially to provide for the religious leaders financially so that they could give their time to the, the, to the ministry. This is good intention, but the problem was that these scribes would ask for the same amount of money from everybody regardless of your living situation. And so you would have these widows who not only were having uh, the scribes kind of double dip into their bank account, but they would say, no, you still have to give the same amount as everyone else, even though your financial, your income has greatly diminished. And in fact, in their culture, in most cases, when you're a widow, no income at all, Right? And so they would devour, Jesus says, it's like you're devouring the widow's houses by being so greedy and selfish. And Jesus is addressing our desire to be recognized for our righteousness and our desire uh, for wealth all at the same time. Isn't it amazing how Jesus is the best teacher ever and he can touch on so many relevant issues all at the same time? 
In fact, Jesus goes on and shows uh, a story of something that happens. It's the very next thing that happens in, in this Gospel of Mark. It says, sitting across from the temple treasury, Jesus watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Remember I told you about those boxes in the temple when they would go in? So he's watching, and his disciples are sitting there, and Jesus is kind of watching this happen. And it says, many rich people were putting in large sums. Again, how did he know? Because they were showing off about it, right? But Jesus is paying close attention to this moment. And it says, then a poor widow came in and dropped two tiny coins worth very little. He sees this. And then it says, summoning his disciples, he said to them. So he goes, guys, hey, come here, come here. I want to say something to you. Did you, did you, you probably didn't see it. But let me, let me, let me explain to you what happened. He says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They were, all these guys were putting in large sums of money. She comes and puts two coins in, and Jesus says she put in more. It says, for they all gave out of their surplus, right? They had a ton, and they just gave something that in percentage-wise, not that much. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. I mean, talk about not holding back. Talk about full submission, Right? Talk about incredible honor that she said, this is all I've got, but I'm going to trust it to God, right? So Jesus had criticism for the religious leaders. He has honor for the widow because the religious leaders and these people putting in large, large sums, what they're trying to do is to be someone. And this woman comes on along, she just wants to be faithful. And that's the question that Jesus is raising for us in your generosity, which is assumed that you're generous people. Good job. Way to go. But where's your heart in that? Is it to be someone so that people know what a good Christian you are? Or is it to just be faithful? Because this is still a problem that we have today. We make decisions that we think will make us look good out of a pursuit of recognition of our good behavior. Right? Ironically, by the way, our, our desire for titles and positions of being good Christians actually drives us away from the God that we claim to be worshiping. Dallas Willard says it this way. He, he wrote in his, his book called Divine Conspiracy, he says, The hunger for titles and public awards in human life is quite astonishing. The bragging and exhibition that goes on around the rear end of automobiles. He's talking about bumper stickers. Uh, he, he says, the almost routine puffing of credentials and resumes and much that passes for normal as part of our self-esteem culture are part of a life with no sense of our standing in the presence of God. In other words, the closer we are to looking like the world praises, the closer we become to what the world says is awesome the less we end up actually looking like the God we claim to praise. And by the way, Dallas Willard wrote this book before social media culture took over, right? So he writes about bragging and exhibitionism that goes on around the rear end of our automobiles, and I read that and I thought, wouldn't it be nice if the only place we had to brag was on the rear end of our automobiles? Instead, we put our rear end on our Twitter accounts I'll hit some of you later. Man, it, just, it would be so great if, if, if we were limited in our ability to brag. We actually live in a culture that encourages bragging, right? Hey, post about it. Hashtag about it. Facebook or it's not real. 
right? We actually encourage this sort of thing. And, and so what ends up happening? We go on missions trips, and, and then we, and we do selfies. Hey, look at all these people. Look, look at all these people that I'm serving. I'm going to post this online. Everybody's going to be like, man, Tim's such a great Christian, serving all these people. Then I come home, and I tell all the stories about all the things that God did in my life. It was so great. Oh, it's just so amazing that I got to go and be a part. I just, I'm such a gift to the world. And I wouldn't be able to tell you a single name of a person that I went and ministered to. Right? This is our bragging culture that we have. This is church culture. This is Western American Christianity. Look at me. Look at how great I am. And this trickles down from the very top of the system. We are the best. We are the greatest. We exist to be a blessing in the world. All of the other nations need to be more like us. All of the other churches need to be more like mine. All of the other families need to be more like mine. All of the other timelines need to look more like mine. We are just wasting our lives bragging about things we think look like God, and they look nothing like God. And Jesus says, your giving should be just baseline. And when you do it, just shh. Right? Just chill. Chill out about it. See, Jesus' problem is, people, is with people who behave like Christians, but whose heart is actually far from him. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of, of scriptures. It's called The Message. And in John chapter 5, verses 41 through 44, John writes this, or Eugene Peterson writes this text this way. He says, I'm not interested in crowd approval. This is Jesus talking. I'm not interested in crowd approval, right? I don't care how many likes you got. I don't care how many followers. I don't care how many people saw what you gave or what you did. And he goes, you know why? You know why I'm not interested in crowd approval? Because I know you and your crowds, Ouch. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. I came with the authority of my Father, and you either dismiss me or you avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking or rivals and ignoring God? So again, if I haven't said this enough, Jesus assumes that we would be generous. But he wants our hearts to be in the right place. If you're giving to get, you're not giving. You're making a transaction. Jesus wants our hearts to be in a place of honoring God and to love people, not to get public recognition. Okay, so I've beat you up a lot. By proxy, I didn't say any of these things. Jesus said this. Right? If you want to be mad at somebody, good luck with him. But the good news, there is hope, is that Jesus actually gives us a rule of life for how we can live moving forward. There's something hopeful here, right? He gives us, he gives us a, a good illustration, a good, this is how you should live kind of, kind of teaching. And the rule, I would say it like this, give it away, but keep it to yourself. That's the rule. The way Jesus said it was, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So whether you want to say it Jesus' way or mine, give it away, keep it to yourself, or don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And I understand that the way Jesus said it might be a little bit confusing. 
Well, I don't think he meant it literally, right? There isn't a brain in your left hand and a brain in your right hand, and you're not supposed to like keep your left hand unaware of what your right hand is doing. He, he, I think he's actually saying two things. I think there's actually two ways that we can look at this. Number one, we have to remember that we are a part of a body of believers, right? Paul talks about this. He, he, Paul gives us the imagery that we are a part of the body of Christ, right? There's a passage of scripture that says that the ear needs the foot and the eye needs the nose and the mouth. Like we all need all the different parts of the body, so play your part, right? We have to remember that each person is part of the body of Christ, and we each have a special part to play. So Jesus is saying, if we're a part of the body, think about it like this. If we are a part of the body, give in such a way that other parts of the body won't notice your generosity. Right? Don't brag about it. I knew a guy one time who wanted to pay for a youth room at his church. And he said, look, I'm not going to tithe, but I'm going to write a fat check to remodel the youth room at the church but I want to make sure that people know that it was me. And praise God for that youth pastor who took that check and slid it right back across the table and said, that's not the kind of giving we do here at this church. Now, praise God for the, hum the humility and the man sitting across the table who was writing the check because he allowed the youth pastor to teach him the right way to do it, and he actually got to partner with the project, but it was the right way later on. And so that's a great story, the way that ended up. But this is a lot of the ways that we come in. We go, hey, look at the thing that I did, right? This is why we're not going to name the building or a seat after you at Life Church. By the way, this is also why I don't look at the giving records at Life Church. Because I don't want anybody thinking that we're going to give or get special treatment because of what we give. I don't even know. I mean, I could be sitting in a room full of people who don't tithe. I, I mean, to be honest, I don't know where the money would come from then, but... But, but for all I know, none of you are tithers. For all I know, all of you are tithers. Hey, good job. I'm so proud of you. But I don't know because I don't want to know. Because I don't want that to get in between our relationship because of who I am in this church, right? I don't want you coming in thinking, oh, I gave a, I gave a big amount. Pastor Tim's going to go easy on me in the sermon this week. <laughs> you already know that's not true. <laughs> But so we have to remember that we're a part of a body of believers, given such a way that the other people won't notice. And I think another way, and maybe even more practical for us, is that we should, we should give in such a way that it is easy and common. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said it like this once. He said, keep the thing, referring to giving, teaching about this text, he said, keep the thing so secret that you yourself are hardly aware that you're doing anything at all praiseworthy. Let God be present, and you'll have enough of an audience. Oh, that was pretty good, Right? He, he's given such a way, give with such regularity. Remember, giving, generosity is a baseline. Make it such a common, regular part of your life that if someone does happen to see you give, you go, oh, I did? Oh, you know what? I just did it. I just I didn't even register as a special moment because I just was, it's just, I, it's just the way I live in the kingdom because I, I got so much. It's just what we do, right? It's just what we do. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. Our giving should be so common for us that it doesn't feel like a special moment. And the giving in secret, by the way, is, is not some new law that you should create. Like, you've now sinned if someone does see you give, right? If you give today, like you walk out of the room and someone sees you put your tithe in the black box back there and they go, hey, good job, you listened to the sermon. Wow, that's great, you're a part of the kingdom. You don't have to go home and be like, oh no, I totally failed, they saw me. That's not the point. Because remember the woman that gave just the two coins? 
Jesus didn't gather the disciples and go, look, look at that sucker. She thought she was doing good, and I saw her. I spotted it. He didn't, he didn't say that. He praised her heart. Right? So it's not about ever, nobody could ever see that you give. Ever. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Right? So the point was that our heart needs to be only to honor God. Not to make sure that we get honor for our honor of God. Because then it undo, undoes the whole thing. Okay, so if you're hearing all of this and you're feeling convicted today, welcome to Life Church. Imagine how I felt while I was writing it. You've only heard this thing once. <laughs> I, I want to talk to you about some things that we can do to respond to that feeling. The first thing I want you to hear, if you're feeling convicted today, is that we welcome this. We welcome conviction. There's no condemnation. We welcome conviction believing that this is the Holy Spirit responding to where we're at because he loves us. In the same way that a parent would look at their kid and say, hey, don't do that anymore because you love them and you want a better way for them, Jesus isn't saying this to make you feel guilty. He's saying this to set you free, right? So the appropriate response to conviction is always twofold, confession and then commitment. So if you're feeling convicted today, you confess, Lord, I'm feeling convicted. That one got me. That was, that's me. You were talking about me because I'm not a giver. Or when I give, I'm looking for credit too much, and I confess that this is my problem. And you can say this to Jesus, and then you can say this to safe people who will point you back to Jesus and help you walk in a new rhythm. And then we have to make a commitment to a lifestyle of generosity without a desire for recognition. We make a commitment to a lifestyle of generosity without a desire for recognition. Because we trust, this is the second thing that we can, we can say if we're feeling convicted today, is that if we get this right, we can trust that God is in charge of the reward business. Because God said if, if you give in secret, your Father in heaven will reward you openly. Now let's not get a weird theology about that. We don't know what open reward will look like for you other than you've been obedient to the Lord and so you get to be a part of his kingdom, right? So eternal life is ours for those of us that are disciples of Christ. Now, I know some people who have given financially and the Lord returned financially to them. I know people like that. I've seen it happen in my life. I also know that some of the open reward that I've received for my financial sacrifice and my giving and my faithfulness has been an opportunity to see where my money has gone to change someone's life. And I might never see a dime back, but the reward of seeing life change is better than money. Right? And I'll tell you, I'll just tell you, my wife and I, from the second we started dating, we made an agreement. And it was easier for me because I was 15 when we started dating, and she actually already had a job. Um, and so she actually had to make a decision. But we together made a decision, hey, we're going to be tithers as a couple. And then as a, as a married couple, uh, one day I eventually got a job. And throughout our entire relationship, we've committed to, we give the first 10% to God of every bit of increase that comes into our life. And I'm not rolling in the money but I've never gone without. And I believe that is because I've lived on the baseline with God, and he's taking care of me, right? 
and he rewards me openly. One of the open rewards that I get to experience is through my faithfulness, I get to see a church be faithful. That's a great reward. Right? So we trust that God rewards the faithful and the righteous. He's going to do it his way. Sometimes that'll look like dollars. Sometimes it'll look like souls saved. That's the better one. Right? An eternal life with God. Like, if, if, think about this. What do you really want? Do you really want, like, tell God what your reward is? Do you really want money right now? Or, or do you actually understand you get eternal life if you submit to God's plan? Why is that not good enough for us? That's a different sermon. So we never give to get, right? We never give to get. We give because we've already received. Yeah. So finally, I want to I invite you to pray about two things with me. And the first one is this. I want to I invite you to take a moment to pray about the state of your own heart in regard to giving and generosity and in regards to recognition and credit. So if there's a place in your life where you need to come to the Lord for repentance, remember Romans 8.1, no condemnation here. Maybe conviction, but we're not condemning you, right? So do you need to go to the Lord in repentance? Here's an opportunity to do that. Do you need to ask God to make you a more compassionate, generous person? I mean, he made your heart. He would love to help form it more into his image, Right? Do you need to ask him to make you more generous? Do you, do you feel a sense of shame because you can give but you don't? Maybe confession and commitment is your prayer in this moment. Or maybe you, you feel shame because you want to give but you don't believe that you can because you think I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I, I don't know how I could give. Then your prayer would be, God, give me eyes to see how you can work through my life. Show me what generosity looks for the person who feels like they're the widow walking in with just two coins. And Jesus would say, there is a way. I will show you. I just want to invite you right now before we say anything else for you to just close your eyes, take a moment with the Lord, because I don't know where all of you are at and what all of you need to say to Jesus right now. Just say something to the Lord of a response to this message. Whether that's a moment of confession, a moment of commitment. Maybe you're like, you know what? I'm so good on this message. Well, take a moment to say thank you for how much God has blessed you. While you're still in this moment of prayer, I want to invite you to ask the Lord. Maybe there's specific people you can already think of but ask the Lord to give you an opportunity to practice generosity this week. Maybe there's somebody you already know. Maybe somebody that lives on your street, somebody you pass by on your way to work, somebody in your office building, uh, maybe somebody in your family, maybe a complete stranger that you'll meet on Tuesday. I don't know. Ask the Lord, God, give me an opportunity and give me eyes to see how I can be generous to these people. God, we pray we pray that you would give us peace in the places where this is challenging. That you would make us uncomfortable in the places where we want to settle for something other than the goodness of your kingdom. And I pray a blessing over the people of Life Church. I pray that our physical resources would never satisfy, but that our being a blessing would bring us great joy and peace. I pray a blessing of financial provision over your life 
that you would know what it looks like to have a God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and whose good pleasure it is to give you the fullness of the kingdom of heaven and who will provide for you in all of your needs. And I pray that you would have the blessing of knowing the goodness of what it is to live at the baseline of the kingdom of heaven, to give as you have fully received. That you would be blessed and that you would be a blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen.